Hey there, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to invite you to our next Collaboration Zone Zoom party. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we can share mind and business growth tips, strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you want to level up your business and get connected, book your spot today. Head on over to www. The road forward slash collaboration zone. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Today we're going to be chatting with another amazing guest. We're going to be chatting with Rachel West from Empowering Growth. But before we get into that, if you are someone who is struggling to discover their purpose and you feel like you're meant for a lot more, but you're not sure what that more is, make sure you check out the link in the show notes and book a 30-minute discovery call with me. We can talk about some ideas, brainstorm, and provide you some value so that you come out of the call with more clear direction and just a sense of what it is that you want to do and take those first steps on how to achieve that. And also, if you are an entrepreneur in recovery or just an entrepreneur in general that maybe you need a little bit more clarity, maybe you're struggling to discover your niche, you know, you want to niche down and um, start to focus on a more targeted market, book a business audit session in there. We're going to talk about maybe the roadblocks that you still possibly face, how we can overcome them by shifting your beliefs and your mindset, because I believe that Imposter syndrome is probably one of those things that holds a lot of us back, right? Who are we to do what we do? So I can definitely help with that. So book a 30-minute business audit session. Both are absolutely free and links are in the show notes. On today's episode, we are chatting with my friend Rachel West from Empowering Growth. Now, she shares her story on dealing with the other side of addiction, right? So being the person who is watching it. We also talk about how living through seeing other people suffer could, you know, have actually helped her not want to go that way because I have seen this as well, you know, children who have dealt with parents who were, you know, alcoholics or addicts and actually not going that way because they didn't want to fall into that life as well. And they knew that they could potentially be prone to it should they try it. So we talk about that viewpoint. We also talk about, you know, enabling and wanting to save those loved ones and the toll that that can take. We talk about how she discovered her own purpose in helping others today. And we also talk about trading self-judgment for possibilities. So I hope you enjoy this episode. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm hanging out with Rachel West from Empowering Growth. How are you, Rachel? I am wonderful today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so glad you're on the show and you get to tell us about your story and, and you know, what you do today to help lots of people. Um, so why don't we do kind of a quick intro? Tell us about yourself and what it is that you do today. Okay. So I'm a personal growth coach and my focus is mindset and mental health with a specialty in addiction. So I kind of just fell into this. Um, I owned a graphic design agency for four years with a business partner. And she told me about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. She said, hey, there's this boot camp that's coming to town and they're teaching NLP. And I'm like, what is that? She's like, you, just go. She's like, I think it'll be good for us to know. So I went because she was my business partner and I trusted her and learning about it. It's, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's basically the science of how your brain processes information through your five senses. It's the science of how you communicate with yourself and others and the science of your internal programming. So that's your behaviors, your attitude, your habits, your perceptions, your beliefs in life. So I went to this six hour boot camp and decided to move forward and start studying it and taking the training and the courses. Um, I wanted to study it for my design business for the communication side of it. I thought, wow, if I could learn the way, different ways that people communicate and process information, then I could write marketing messages to reach them on a deeper level. So I ended up going through the training. I went all the way through. I got my master's practitioner certification. I got my trainer certification so that I could teach it to others. And through that process, I discovered that I no longer wanted to have that design agency and that I wanted to you know, start a coaching business and focus on mindset, mental health with a specialty in addiction. Why that? Well, I grew up around it. A lot of my family members had addictions and still have it today. So I witnessed drugs, I witnessed alcohol, I witnessed gambling, I witnessed self-harm. So I was that family member kind of sitting back and watching these people around me deconstruct and, and kind of just ruin their life. And the gift that I always had that's a benefit to me now is I always saw them outside of that outlet, I call it. You know, I saw them, their true self. They were just in this thing that they couldn't get out of. And I almost would hold them on this pedestal. Like, wow, if you could just give this up, this is what you would be. And I would just hold on to that hope. That was me. Like, this is what they could become. This is what they could do. And sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. They wouldn't get to that point. But as a coach today, it helps me because I still have that ability to see the good in people. And I can see them outside of that outlet. And I can help them to become that 
if that's what they want to be. And you're speaking my language like that speaks <laughs> right to my heart because, you know, I'm on the other side where I was someone who went through addiction and it took me a long time to finally realize, like, if I could just take that energy I put into getting loaded into something good in life, imagine what I could do. And I finally gained that belief. And that's what I believe my whole purpose is as well, is helping others realize what they're truly capable of. It's because look how much energy you put into that. Now, being on the opposite side, because I talk to a lot of people that are either in addiction or, or have been through adversity, you know, what was that like for you? What was it like growing up in an alcoholic family? It was hard. It was hard. Um, so my parents divorced when I was two. And so my mom was in and out of relationships with alcoholics. I'll say all of them were alcoholics. So it was the stepdad. And, and I kind of learned to just... Um, not get attached because I knew I had been this been seeing this cycle of, well, they're probably not going to stay around anyway. So, you know, kind of just hold them at a distance. But when I was really young, I didn't have that understanding and I would get attached and then I would be sad when they left or they chose the drugs or the alcohol over the family. And my mom's like, okay, done, had enough, this or this. And, and they always chose that. And so that was hard as a, as a kid to go through. And then growing up, I found myself, I was in a relationship with an alcoholic for four years and same thing, I saw him on this pedestal and I would just, that would be the story I would tell myself, oh, as long as he gives it up 100%, this is what we're gonna be. And he, and, and, and he was the type that didn't think he had a problem, that he could control it, that he could drink now and then that he could only drink on the weekends or, or, um, oh, oh, I'm, I'm this way when I drink hard alcohol. Oh, okay. I won't, I won't drink that because it makes me aggressive, but I'll drink this instead kind of thing. So it took me a long time and it was on and off. And even I think after the four years, we still stayed in touch and I still kind of had that hope. And one day it just kind of it hit me and made it easy for me to walk away. It was like, I knew the alcohol wasn't the problem. His problem was something deeper from childhood that he didn't want to deal with. And I felt he, at that time, he wasn't ever going to deal with that thing. And that was what was keeping him in the alcohol. And so I was like, well, unless he will give this up 100%, he's not going to become this pedestal person I'm, I'm perceiving him to be. And at this point, I don't think he's ready to deal with that. So it was easy for me to walk away and just accept him for where he was because that's what he was going to be for now. Um, and then another thing that I went through um, with my brother-in-law, um, him and my sister were married for six or seven years. They have two kids. He was heavily involved with drugs and he ended up overdosing and that was the hardest one for me he he was definitely he's an inspiration for me doing what I'm doing he um I don't know what his route was um I think I have an idea and 
he was that person I saw on that pedestal. He was that person, he would do the worst of the worst things, robbing convenience stores and selling family cars and you know all the things that typically happen because people just are so desperate for money in that state. And so I wanted to hate him because of these things. My family wrote him off. Um, my parents, my grandparents, everybody was like, nope, he's not allowed around us and we don't wanna be around him. So we're not coming to your house. And I was almost at my breaking point. It was Easter one year. And I went over to see my niece nephew. They were like, I think two, three or one or something like that, really young. And so I was like, oh, I wanna go see what the Easter bunny brought them. I walk in the door, my sister's in her bath towel. She just got out of the shower. I'm sitting there talking to her. And all of a sudden I realized she has like a blue eye. And it made me so angry to see that. And I didn't want to be a part of that and allow it to happen. So I was like, okay, if this is what you're going to keep putting up with, then I'm done too, because I'm not going to allow him to do that to you and still come around and him think that that's okay. A second later, I took that back because my entire family had given up on him and her. And if I had done that, she would have nobody. And if he really hurt her, nobody would know. So for her, I chose to stay. And I'm so glad that I did that. And that's, thank you for sharing that because I know it's difficult. I mean, I've been through both sides of it where, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to think that I could rescue people and it almost overshadowed my problems with alcohol, right? Because I used alcohol to numb how I was feeling. I always, you know, I always was seeking that recognition and love from external sources and I never learned to love myself. And so I think it's very difficult um, you know, and, and you're right, like, um, alcoholics and addicts are good people. They have so much potential. It's what the drugs and alcohol do to them that mm -hmm. completely changes the way we function. Like, I remember being, you know, just coming out of a blackout and friends of mine saying, what are you doing? This isn't you. Like they knew and, you know, they stayed strong for me and never gave up on me, even through the times where I knew you could see it in their eyes where they wanted to give up. But it's people like that that stuck by me and they're like, OK, we'll be here when you're ready. They also showed me tough love, right? There was times where they had to walk away like you've done in your relationship and say this isn't OK. And that, I think, was part of what made me want to change. So did you at any point, you know, throughout what you'd experienced want to be that person that could save them? I think I had been up until that boyfriend, because that's what I had seen my mom do. My mom is like the purest person and she would get into these relationships, I think unknowingly wanting to be that person to just help these people. So she had this pattern of just choosing people who were on the wrong path, thinking that she could help them, that she could be that person to help shift them through what they were going through. And it wasn't working out. 
she always ended up on the other side where she would just get to her wits end and have to walk away. And so I think that's what I was doing. I was following that. I was following my mom, like wanting to be that person for other people. And that was in my relationship. And I would hold, I had that other idea of them, which is what held, held me there in giving that, giving me hope for them. And that's not always the case. They have to want it themselves more than I want it for them. And that was that realization with the boyfriend and what allowed me to be able to walk away because I was wanting it way, way, way more than he was wanting it. And, and until he was ready, if ever, to do that for himself. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, right? You hear about all these interventions and people bursting into the, you know, the, the alcoholic's home and begging them to change. But if we're not ready, right, I had so many people beg me to stop. And until I actually stopped digging my bottom and, you know, I had hit many worse bottoms throughout my early addiction than I did when I finally decided to stop. But I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. And you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Like there is nothing you can do to make somebody stop. You can only hope that they last long enough to actually come to that realization on their own that it's time to stop themselves. Now, you know, a lot of people use, I, I've heard in the past, I'm seeing it more and more change a little bit. People who have been in alcoholic families, because it does, I believe it does run, it runs in my family and my parents were not alcoholics. I had an amazing upbringing. You know, I didn't become an alcoholic because of trauma or anything. It was because I loved it. It was my escape. It didn't make, you know, it made me feel empowered almost and in control. But you see a lot of people within abusive families or alcoholic families become alcoholics themselves. And you manage to stay away from that. Mm -hmm. And I commend you for that because you don't hear that. I think you hear it a little bit more now, but before you always used to hear, oh, my parents are alcoholics. I became an alcoholic kind of thing. So do you think it was because you were surrounded by it and you're, you had this desire within you or maybe you had this calling in life that one day you were going to be that person that actually mm -hmm. helped these people? I mean, thinking about it now, yes, I could say that. Back then, I think it, it had to do with um, two things. One, my mom was never an alcoholic or a drug user. So she was my role model. She was the person I was modeling. So even though her choices were met with addictions, <clears throat> she wasn't. And so I think that had to do with it. And then me seeing that, I would tell myself, I don't want that. I want something better for myself. I don't wanna go down the same path she had. Um, even though I had started to, and it was just that one wake up call. And maybe that was because I was supposed to experience those things for what I'm doing now so that I could help other people through it. And if I hadn't experienced that boyfriend, the brother-in-law, the, the stepdads, I wouldn't be able to relate to them in the way that I need to now. 
And that's so true. I, I love that because I feel like even though there's times I wish I had stopped a lot sooner in life because, you know, there's not one part of me now, though, that regrets going through what I've been through because I believe that it's actually the gift to allowing me the ability to help others, right? Because if somebody has been through what I've been through, I can sit across the table and or a computer now, I guess, um, and say, you know, I know what you're going through. I understand how you feel, right? That feeling of feeling hopeless and lost. I get it. And I think that's what makes um, people such great coaches and mentors is going through that themselves because it gives you this different level of connection that you otherwise wouldn't have had. Now, you talk about, you know, trading self-judgment for possibilities. And this is kind of exactly on this line. I remember, you know, after I got sober, I had to work on becoming a productive member of society. I had to learn how to build a foundation. It took a lot of work for me to finally own that my past was my fault, that I had created all of this havoc in my life. And now I had to clean it up. And after I did that, though, I kind of felt like I should just be grateful for the life I've been given now and I should settle for the job that I don't really like and the life that I'm not happy and fulfilled with. Like I really had these beliefs that my past would always follow me around like this plague that it's like, well, who are you to do this? Like you're a recovering alcoholic, like nobody's going to take you serious. And that is what my brain told me instead I until I started working on those limiting beliefs. So. Can you talk a bit about that trading self-judgment in for possibilities? Because it is an amazing subject and I love talking about it. Yeah, I, I created that um, talk or program because it is important. And we go through life, and I was this same as you, going through life in the norm, in my little box that society, parents, schooling told me that I needed to do. You go to high school, you graduate, you go to college, you choose a career, you start a business or you start a, um, up the corporate ladder, whatever it is, your path, that's what you do. And that's what I was living. And it wasn't until my NLP journey that I discovered so much about myself, so much that I was limiting um, quick backstory in kindergarten, I was told I had, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. So I took that label from the doctor who diagnosed me as, as true. And as a five-year-old and, and as a doctor authoritative figure, you would take that on. And so for 27 years, that's what I believed. I have this learning disability and I'm not as smart as everyone else which funneled into so many other areas of my life, funneled into reading. When I would read out, li out loud in um, grade school, I would have to read, when I would read in grade school, I would have to read out loud so that I could hear myself say the words to process them. And if I read silently, I would struggle to retain that information. And I thought it had to do because, oh, well, I'm not as smart as everyone else and I have this learning disability. So I'm the only one. So guess what? I'm just not gonna read because I don't wanna be different. Funneled into writing. I, how can I be a good writer if I don't read and I'm not as smart as everyone else and I have this disability? So it just kind of made this train effect. Then I start this NLP journey and, 
and discover how I process information, how I communicate and learn I never had that disability that I believed for 27 years. I released that belief, which released the belief of not liking to read. I read almost every day now, which released the belief of not being a good writer. I just wrote my first co-authored book. So it's like the power of you letting go of those judgments you give yourself and letting go of those labels that others give to you. And it opens up so much more for you. The possibilities are endless when you discover what your limiting beliefs are because you're going through life and you're telling yourself the story that you've been living and you believe it. So you don't know that you have these limiting beliefs. So it's really important to pay attention to the words that you're using, pay attention to the thoughts that you're having so that you can discover what those limiting beliefs are so that you can then release them. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, obviously easier said than done sometimes because you really, you got to do the work on it, right? You can't just think things are going to happen. But I love how you talk about the, you know, the learning because I remember in high school, as soon as I started drinking, obviously everything went out the window. And I was never before that an A or B student by any means, but I knew it was because I didn't apply myself at the time, of course. I thought it was because I wasn't smart enough. And, and, you know, I labeled myself as that as well. Like when I got sober, I'm like, well, I don't, you know, why would I go back to college or take some courses or anything like that? Because I'm never going to pass. And I remember I actually, I think it was my third year of recovery. I took a course and I had to write an essay and I was terrified of writing an essay and I got an A. And I've never gotten an A in my entire life. And that, I think, was kind of the first little like, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe. And I've written two books since then. Right. I mean, as you know, right, co-authoring a book, it's amazing. And it starts to build up the belief. And, And, you know, one of my mentors told me if your beliefs outweigh your willpower, your beliefs are always going to win in the end. And so, you know, let's talk about the possibilities after addiction, because I know from my story, I give credit to my addiction for everything that I've learned and what I've created in my life. But what is it from your perspective? So for me, the unlimited possibilities after addiction is helping that person who has been through this experience discover First, discover the root. Are you aware of what that root was that happened that caused you to turn to that outlet in the first place? Most people think they know what it is. They think that it was, um, my example is like, oh, well, I was in, middle school or high school and and in the bathroom, somebody offered it to me and I tried it and then I've been hooked ever since. They think that that's what, what got them into it, but it's deeper than that. Why did you say yes in that bathroom that day? What happened before that, that you're not aware happened that you said yes? 
So it's helping them discover what that is so that they can heal from that and work on the emotions and through the emotions of that. And then it's changing, helping them change their beliefs, their habits, their patterns, their behaviors to prevent a relapse cycle. That was my pattern in my family. Go to rehab, get some help, get out, fall back. My goal is to help prevent that. And I, my belief is it's that root that most people don't know. And it's they're going back to their family, which may or may not be part of the problem. They're going back to their friends. They're going back to their environment. They're going back to their beliefs. They're having all the things. They're going back to that same thing. And if they don't have the tools, it will be harder for them. And I have never been through an AA program or um, NA or, or any of the sorts. So I don't know what it's like from that perspective. And my belief is it's, if you do the result, if you do the work that they tell you, you're going to get results. What I do, if you do the work I tell you, you're going to get results. They're two completely different avenues, but they both get results as long as you do the work. So I wanna help people. I'm huge into energy and the words that you say and the things that you say after them. So I am is the most powerful statement. And to say, I am an alcoholic and maybe you could be the person to help me through this to me sounds like a burden to have to live with that label to me sounds like a backpack of rocks that like I have to carry this backpack of rocks with me the rest of my life with this label I want to help people understand that that was part of your past and I want to help you learn from it so that you can move forward for yourself. And if it's your desire to help others through theirs without having to have that label and realize that it's, it was a part of you and it's still a part of you, but you don't have to have that label. I totally agree. I mean, I don't know how many people say, you know, oh, well, I'm an alcoholic. And it's like, no, that's who you were at one point, but that doesn't define you, right? And yeah. I really believe relapse isn't part of my story. And I did hit a very complacent time in my recovery where I wasn't doing self-analysis. I wasn't learning how to develop a growth mindset. And it really wasn't until I realized what a gift everything I'd been through was, right? And I discovered my purpose that that's why I wrote my book Beyond Recovery, because I'm like, there is this an amazing life, like just incredible world beyond recovery, right? For me, doing the 12 steps gave me a foundation. But had I just stayed there and been like, okay, this is good. You know, I'm a, I'm a good member of society now. I probably would have gone back because I'm not learning what life is like outside of mm -hmm. that, right? And it's been yeah. such a gift. And like, 
I still wake up now I'm, you know, fully self-employed, but I still wake up at 4 a.m. sometimes because I'm so excited to do what we get to do in terms of coaching other people to discover their potential. And I, I'm like, guys, you gotta, you gotta get this so you don't feel the need to destroy your life again because all it takes is, you know, that emotion to hit you again and being at the wrong place at the wrong time and grabbing that drink and thinking that it's okay, this time will be different. Mm -hmm. And it never is, unfortunately. So you also work with family addiction and, and family addiction mastery. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So family addiction mastery is working with the family, somebody who was just like me and helping them work through having this addict in their family. So I help them understand what addiction is. I help them understand the addict, what they're going through. And I help them work on them by working through their emotions. That means working through that anger and frustration they're feeling of, I'm over this, go get help already, an intervention is needed. The, the, the guilt they feel as possibly a parent or a sibling, um, how did this happen? Where did it go wrong? Am I to blame? The fear of them taking it too far and harming themselves or somebody else. They're going through all of these negative emotions and it's just keeping their vibration so low and if I help them to understand the addict and understand that as hard as as hard as it is that they can't do anything until their family member is ready themselves so if they work on them and they work on their emotions and their healing through it then that's a, a benefit for them Absolutely. And it is tough, you know, as a family member to watch that. And, you know, I, I even know people who are in recovery who's got who have got kids now, and they know that they can't enable, right? They know that that's not going to help. But yet, I think that desperation as a parent comes out still, you know, with people who know exactly what it's like, you know, and I often tell people that I work with in recovery that start to work with people who are newer, it's like, you can't want it more than they do, right? And I think the same goes out to the family, right? You can't mm -hmm. want this more than they do because yeah. there is nothing you can do to change. You just have to be there to support them. Yeah. So what is life like you, for you today? Like, you know, working with people um, using NLP, um, you know, how has that just impacted your life in a positive way? It has changed my life. I love doing what I do. To, to have that person who's open yet scared to start working with them and see that shift in their body on a neurological level is the best thing to witness. It's just like, if I'm comparing it, something you can relate to auditorily would be like a Scooby-Doo, like, Rrr! kind of thing like they just get it and you see it in their whole body that's why i do what i do 
to, to get that response that they don't even know they're having, you're like, that sunk in. They, they're, they're starting to shift. They're getting it. And that is amazing feeling. I myself have to do that often is I have to stand there sometimes and actually turn around and go, oh my God, like, I can't believe how far I've come. Like, you know, to a couple of years ago, having these beliefs, like, who am I to do any of this kind of stuff? You're right. Like it is, there's something about coaching that you watch that light bulb go on in their eyes where they start to gain that belief in their own ability to change their life. That's just so... It's just so satisfying and it's, you know, that's why they say in order to get out of your head and stop thinking about yourself, become other people centered, do things for other people and you learn to show up differently in the lives of the people that you love. Yeah, so exactly. it's amazing. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? The best place to go is my website. It's empoweringgrowthcoach.com. There you can find all my social media links. If you want to connect with me there, you can find my phone number or email so you can reach out if you wish. Um, so empoweringgrowthcoach.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. I love chatting with people like Rachel because, you know, my hope is that when you're listening to this, if you're struggling with direction or you need a little bit of inspiration that, you know, hearing these stories of people overcoming adversity and or addiction, that that can help inspire you to want to change and want to grow and invest in yourself. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. Now, if you haven't joined us already for our Collaboration Zone Zoom call, make sure you do that. If you're an entrepreneur in recovery and you want to chat with some like-minded individuals that can help you scale your business, because don't forget, this is a networking opportunity. You can share what you do, who you serve, and also maybe some of the roadblocks that you're facing. You won't want to miss these calls. They run every second week. I do alternate time zones so that uh, we can accommodate all our friends from all around the world. And you can sign up for these calls at www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.